Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Hello Elevation. It is so great to be with you today as we continue the next part of our series, In the Valley. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nikki and I'm the Cairns pastor alongside my husband Luke at one of our Elevation locations across Australia. And I'm just so privileged and honoured to be bringing this message today. I was asked by the team to bring the next part in our series, The Valley of Worry and Anxiety. Because in my professional career, I'm a pastor, but also in my professional career, I'm a clinical psychologist. And so working with people who are walking through valleys of anxiety, worry, fear, depression, PTSD, trauma, the whole thing is part of my everyday And so for the last six or seven years, I've been working in private practice and walking with people through some of the deepest and darkest valleys of their life. And one thing that I've noticed about valleys, both in pastoring people, but also walking with people in a a therapy and counselling setting, one thing I've noticed about valleys is that they do not discriminate. They happen to us all. They happen to the rich and they happen to the poor. They happen to the strong, and they happen to the weak. They happen to the unhealthy, and they happen to the healthy. They happen to the unspiritual, but they also happen to the spiritual. The Bible does not promise us that we will not go through valleys in life, but the promise of God is, is that He walks with us as we go through them. And that victory will ultimately be ours either in this life or in the life to come. See, valleys can look different for every person. And valleys come in different shapes and sizes. And so the person next to you might be dealing with a different type of valley to what you're dealing with at the moment. But today, I want to talk about a valley that the recent ABS statistics tell us one in five people have struggled with significantly to clinical levels in the last 12 months. And the valley that we're talking about today, as I've said before, is the valley of anxiety. Other terms for anxiety are worry and fear. Those Three words are interchangeable today. So if we're talking about worry or fear or anxiety, we're talking about the same group of feelings, the same family that they belong to. And in the Bible, we see several characters that struggled in a valley with fear and worry and anxiety consumed them. And today we're going to take a look at one of those characters by the name of Elijah to give us insight as to what actually occurs when we're in the valley of worry and anxiety, but also how do we successfully journey out of it so that we can find ourselves on the other side of the valley instead of camping out in the valley. Now, let me give you some context about the prophet Elijah. Elijah was a prophet and God had sent him back to Israel, to the king of Israel at the time named Ahab, to bring a message to him. And the message was that rain was coming. Now, Ahab was married to a particularly difficult woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a devout worshipper of a, of a pagan god named Baal. And 
Consequently, because of her devotion to this God, she slaughtered uh, all of the prophets of the Lord that could be found in Israel. And Elijah believed that he was the only one left. There was, there was a, a massive slaughtering of the prophets of God. And because of the people's wickedness and because of the wickedness of the leadership, a severe drought had come across the land in Israel. And God sent Elijah to go back and tell Ahab that rain was coming. But before Elijah, um, before Elijah brought that message, he aimed to influence the people of Israel and the, the leadership to come back to the one true God. And so he sets a task, he sets a test for King Ahab. And he says, well, if your God is the real God, set an offering for him and let us for fire to come down from heaven. And if fire ignites this offering, then your God is the one true God. But I'll do the same. I'll build my own offering and I'll do the same and I'll call fire down from heaven. And if fire, fire falls on my offering, then we know that my God is the one true God. And so they take him up on this test and they begin to build their sacrifice to Baal and they begin to call down and shout at heaven and call down the fires uh, of heaven on this sacrifice. And of course, it's no surprise to us that nothing happens. And then Elijah, to try and prove his point, he pours buckets and buckets of water three times on his offering before he begins to call down fire from heaven. And then he calls down fire from heaven. And what do we see? God comes through on his promise. He lights up that offering and an amazing miracle happens. And in one moment, the people begin to turn towards the Lord God again. And they begin to proclaim, your God, Elijah, is the true God, the one true God. And so what Elijah ends up doing is in an effort to try and really wipe out the, the worship of Baal, he, he, he kills the 450 of their prophets so that there would be no more worship of Baal. And when he does this, the rain begins to fall and the drought-stricken land is, um, is drenched with water again. It really was an amazing mountaintop moment for Elijah. One for the highlight reel. However, this mountaintop experience is shortly followed by the beginning of Elijah's valley low experience. You see, when Ahab got home from his journey, he went and met with his wife Jezebel. As men do and husbands do when they get home after a trip, they come and debrief. Or oftentimes, you know, it's normally, I know for me, it's I want to know everything about the trip. So I'm like, tell me everything. And so Jezebel's, you know, inquiring, what happened while you were away? What happened? Ahab explains to Jezebel what happened with this offering with Elijah and that Elijah had killed 450 of the prophets of Baal. And if we pick up the story from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, it says this. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the one, like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. 
Elijah's mountaintop moment was shortly followed by a valley low experience. And this low was defined by intense fear, worry and anxiety, triggered by the threats of Jezebel to kill him. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this incredible that Elijah behaves this way. I mean, he has just seen the most amazing miracle from heaven. He has just seen that God is with him. God is for him. You know, he just saw fire come from heaven onto a sopping wet sacrifice. But then he gets a threat from one woman named Jezebel and he goes running for his life. He flees like there's no tomorrow. But you see, that's the funny thing about fear and anxiety that often our behaviour that follows these feelings, it does not make sense. Or it is disproportionate to the actual threat. The way we're behaving is much larger than what the actual threat may really be. And that is because of the way in which our brain operates. And today I want to take you on a journey to show you how the brain works. Because I believe this is going to be very helpful to you in understanding how you and the people around you behave in the way you do when you get triggered with anxiety or worry or fear. So let's take a look. You see, from the moment you are born, your brain is designed and wired to keep you safe. Now, in the middle of the brain here, you have a part called your limbic system. And your limbic system is designed to approach things that feel pleasurable and avoid things that feel painful or anxiety-provoking. And uh, part of your limbic system, you have this part here called the amygdala. And your amygdala is responsible for storing all of your fear memories. And not just the content of your memory, so not just storing the things that happened that were scary or anxiety-provoking, but it stores how you felt about it. Your brain remembers how you feel about things. So what happens is when we perceive threat in our environment, in Elijah's case, it was Jezebel making threats to kill him. Our limbic system is notified and it consults our amygdala for information. It's like it goes through the filing cabinet and sees if there's any information about this current threat that could indicate how anxious and worried we should be about it right now. Now, there's no doubt that Elijah would have known about the killings of the prophets of God under the hand of Jezebel. We know that he believed that he was the last prophet that existed. Maybe he ran for his own life when that occurred. Or maybe he just heard from it from afar. Either way, he had this memory stored in this amygdala. So when Jezebel sends a message of, I'm going to kill you, his amygdala sets off a very strong reaction in the limbic system. Now, at the very front of your brain here, you have this thing called the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the last part of your brain to develop. It develops when you're around about 25 years old. And we call this the wisdom part of your brain because this is the logical, rational, reasoning part of your brain. So if you think of your limbic system as the emotional part, you can think of your prefrontal cortex as the wisdom part. So in this case, when 
Elijah heard of the threat of Jezebel that was coming to kill him, the emotional part of his brain might have been saying, oh my gosh, this is going to be terrible. We got to get out of here. This woman is crazy. She is coming after me. We are in danger. But the prefrontal cortex of Elijah might have been saying, well, hold on a second. You've got a very big God that you follow, Elijah. You've got a God that just brought fire from heaven on a sopping wet um, offering. I'm sure that he could get you out of this one. But here's the thing about the brain is that when we get triggered in the limbic system, a fight begins to go on between these two parts of the brain. It's kind of like the angel and the demon on your shoulder, having a dialogue, having a conversation. And what we see almost always when this part of the brain gets highly triggered is this part of the brain goes offline. We see it in MRI studies. This part becomes highly activated and this part goes offline, which is why when we get triggered by different things in our environment, we can behave in ways that seem very irrational. And what happens next is we see that Elijah is crushed by debilitating anxiety, which is quickly followed by a low mood episode and suicidality, which is not uncommon when it comes to crippling anxiety like that. You see, when you have extreme anxiety for long enough, it will impact your mood. Or when you have extreme anxiety, even for a short period, it's not uncommon for people to begin to fantasize about and even contemplate taking their life. Now, in Elijah's case, it doesn't appear that he actually wanted to harm himself, but his his anxiety was so distressing and exhausting to him that he was begging God to take him out of his torment. It was more of an idea of escape for Elijah. Eventually, it appears that God doesn't deliver on that and Elijah takes the next best thing, which is he nods off to sleep, escape, um, an escape behaviour anyway. And let's continue to read. It says, Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, Get up and eat. Then he looked and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Herob, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. One would say here that his mental state was not good. Elijah was in a valley all right. But I love that God meets him there. God found him there. And God met him there. You see, God is not afraid of your valley moments. I find there are so many people sometimes that only feel worthy to come to God when they're in a mountaintop experience. As if going through a valley in life is some sort of failure. But God is the God of the mountaintops with you, but He is also the God of the valley with you. God is not afraid of your valleys, my friend. You are not a failure if you have found yourself in a valley today or on any day. But here's the thing, is that although God is with us in the valley, His desire for us is not to camp out in the valley. His desire for us 
is not to set up camp at the broom tree and continue in our negative thinking and our suicidality or our crippling anxiety or whatever it is. He wants to bring an intervention. He wants to bring some uh, hope and restoration to you so that you can begin to journey out of the valley. And that's exactly what he did for Elijah. God sends an angel to Elijah to bring an intervention. He didn't want him to stay where he was at. And if you're finding yourself in a valley of anxiety or worry or fear today, I believe God too wants to bring an intervention into your life. So what was God's intervention with Elijah? And what can we learn about it that will help us to get out of our own valleys of worry and anxiety? Well, God's intervention, number one, began with a heaven-sent person. For Elijah, it was an angel. For you, it might be an angel, but it could also be a heaven-sent person, a friend, a life group leader, a mentor, a pastor, a counsellor, a GP, or a psychologist. Our journey out of the valley usually begins with another person. A person that can say and believe, hey, your journey's not over yet. This is not where you're meant to camp out. Come on, get up, eat some food, hydrate yourself, take a sleep. But then we've got a journey ahead of us. We're moving forward together. You see, your fear and anxiety will make you want to isolate. It will make you want to withdraw, as it did for Elijah. He was out of there. He wanted to be on his own. But I love that God sent someone in anyway. Because he knew that Elijah could not get himself out of this one. He needed someone to get into his headspace and get him out of his behaviour state and help him get back on track. And oftentimes that's what we need to, if we're really honest. We like to think we can do it on our own, but we often need somebody else when we're in that place to go, come on, get up. We've got a journey to go. I'm going to help you to do the bare essentials, but then let's get on a journey to health again. And the question that I have for you today is who are those heaven-sent people in your world that you can begin to allow to lead you on a journey out of the valley? It's time to stop ignoring their calls. It's time to stop avoiding the appointment and cancelling. It's time to book in the coffee It's time to stop isolating and begin leaning in to that personal and professional, if needed, support around you that will help lead you out of the valley. The second thing that God did is that he cared for the body. It's interesting that the first thing that God does for Elijah out of after he uh, sends somebody is he takes care of the physical. He gives him something to eat something to drink, and he lets him take a rest. And if you're going to get out of a valley of anxiety or worry, you cannot neglect your physical needs. And oftentimes I find with Christians, they can be really hesitant to look after their physical care, their physical needs. And that's because they often don't see these activities as spiritual ones. However, God created your body and he said that it was good. In 1 Corinthians, the Bible even refers to the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's something to be looked after. That's something to be cared for and nurtured. 
And we see in this account of Elijah that God does not neglect the physical needs of his body. In fact, it's the first thing that he begins to address. And when it comes to getting out of the valley of anxiety, we too need to address our physical needs. We need to make sure that we're getting enough to eat. We need to make sure we're getting enough to sleep. And we need to make sure we're hydrating and keeping enough water in our system. And these are, in fact, some of the first things that we begin to look at and get right when people come into the psychology room. We need to get enough sleep because we know that sleep deprivation has a huge impact on brain activity and a huge impact on mood and coping. We need to be fueling our body with enough food to eat and enough calories because we know that our brain uses up to, hear this, 50% of your daily calories to function and be able to think straight. We need to exercise because we know that exercise can be as effective as an antidepressant for mild to moderate depression. We know that it radically reduces cortisol in our system and brings our body back into a state of relaxation. Taking care of the body helps us to get out of the valley of anxiety and worry. Our body is connected to our mind and our spirit and we cannot neglect it. The second thing that God did is that he cared for the spirit. Verse 12, it says, After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. After God addresses Elijah's physical needs, he addresses his spiritual needs. And he encounters him on a mountain, not through these grandiose expressions of who he is, but through a small gentle whisper. If you've ever been in a valley of anxiety or worry, you will know the experience of having your thoughts racing and feeling like every thought is screaming at you. The dialogue in your head can feel extremely loud. But God has a way of speaking directly into your spirit. And he doesn't need a loud voice to do it. One small, gentle whisper from him is enough to radically change everything in a moment. You know, I always say to people when I'm pastoring them that God can do in one moment what can take decades of therapy to accomplish. I've seen it. And Elijah hears the gentle whisper of God And understanding the significance and the bigness and the holiness of the God who just spoke to him, he pulls his cloak over his face. In this moment, it suggests to us that he encounters the full weight of who God is. And out of reverence, he covers his face. I find that amazing that in a small, gentle whisper, Elijah has a revelation afresh of just how big and holy and powerful his God is. When your anxiety and worry is screaming at you, when your mind is full of racing thoughts and your spirit is troubled, a gentle whisper from God can change everything. 
And part, a large part of overcoming our valley of worry and anxiety is reminding our spirit just how big and powerful and holy our God is. And that happens in the prayer time with God. That happens in the moments when we get in the presence of God and we encounter that gentle, small whisper again where we are reminded of, wow, how big and God and mighty uh, our God is. And we have a revelation afresh of the God that is for us and not against us. If we're going to get out of the valley, we cannot neglect our physical needs, but we equally cannot neglect our spiritual needs. We need the presence of God. We need to hear the gentle, small whisper of God in order to begin to journey out. And the last thing that God did in this intervention for Elijah is that he cared for his mind. After God addresses Elijah, Elijah's physical needs, his spiritual needs, he moves on to his psychological needs, his mind. If we pick up the account from verse 14, it says this, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing, Elijah? This is God speaking. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. They are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazel, Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Here we see in the scripture for the first time what Elijah is actually thinking because he vocalizes it. And we see here that his thoughts are actually distorted from reality. If you can recall just prior to Elijah's valley of anxiety, he experienced a mountaintop moment where in one moment, um, the people of Israel began to proclaim that his God was the one true God again. But you see, Elijah's thinking pattern was distorted. Elijah's back thinking that no one's interested in following his God at all. And that's the thing with anxiety and worry and fear is that often it will distort our view of reality. You know, they say fear as an acronym is false evidence appearing real. F-E-A-R, fear. When we become anxious or worried, our brain develops a cognitive bias in which it will only see information that confirms our fears rather than challenging our fears. So for Elijah, his brain could only find evidence that no one was interested in following God and everyone was trying to kill him. And what he needed in that moment was for someone to challenge his thinking and point him to the real evidence. So God says to him, go back to where you came from. I have people who will fight for you and will keep you safe. But also a reminder and, and remember that I have kept 7,000 people back in Israel that have not turned to worship Baal and are ready to follow me. 
See, God challenged his thinking by presenting, presenting him with the factual evidence of the situation. Here is Elijah thinking, everyone has rejected God. There is no one left to worship him. Everyone is out to get him and to murder him. And this is a common thought distortion that psychologists call overgeneralization. It's where a person takes a small piece of evidence and overgeneralizes it, makes it out to be much bigger than it actually is. And in this moment, God is so kind to Elijah that he challenges his overgeneralization. And he does this by providing evidence against that overgeneralization. There's not one Elijah, there's 7,000 people. And don't take one woman trying to hunt you down as now everyone wanting to hunt you down. And this is something, this is a skill that you can do too. Whenever you're finding yourself in a place of anxiety and worry, here's what you do. Write down what your brain is telling you and ask yourself, are these thoughts based on facts? What is the evidence for this thought being true? But also what is the evidence for this thought being false? Write all of these down. And what you'll more than likely find is that your thoughts have been distorted from reality. And you'll be able to see more accurately what the truth is when you weigh up the facts involved and the evidence for those facts being true or false. When your thoughts become more rational, you'll more than likely feel far less anxious and worried and you'll be able to problem solve better as to how you're going to journey yourself out of the valley. What we see after God's intervention with Elijah is that he gets out of the valley and he gets on with living on mission again. He goes and anoints the next prophet, Elisha, and he, he gets about doing what a prophet's meant to do again. And I believe that God's intervention with Elijah that journeyed him out of that valley of worry and fear is also something that we can take advice from and take insight from today and apply it to our own lives. So let's quickly recap as we wrap up this message today. God's intervention involved first finding your heaven sent person. Find them. Find that person who's going to help you. Don't do it alone. Engage your personal and professional support. Number two, begin to, begin, begin to care for your physical well-being. Eat well. Sleep well. Exercise. Look after yourself. Number three, nurture your spirit and make sure you are hearing the whisper of God in your ear. Spend time in the presence of God. Seek the encounter. Listen for his voice. And number four, challenge your thinking by examining the evidence for and against your thoughts. Look for the evidence. Journal, speak about your thoughts with others and engage a psychologist to build more skills in this area if it's particularly difficult for you. You know, today, I believe that these tools, if applied, will be life-changing for you to help get you out from under the broom tree and begin making your journey out of the valley of worry and anxiety. Friend, God cares for you. He cares about your mountaintop experiences, but He also cares about your valley experiences too. And He's promised to never leave nor forsake you. He is with you. The valley is not where He wants you to camp out, but it's the place where God wants to help you journey through. And you have 
got this. And I know that on behalf of all the pastors at Elevation, we can't wait to celebrate with you when you arrive on the other side of your valley and you're celebrating freedom from anxiety and fear and worry. We can't wait to receive that praise report.